Happy Easter, I think. Here we are celebrating Easter in 2020 amidst the global coronavirus pandemic. And uh, the question on my heart, the thing that is centering me right now and confusing me and challenging me is, what do we do with Easter amidst all of this? And this is a question that I know many people are thinking of uh, this morning as uh, millions of Christians worldwide celebrate Easter. Uh, our Orthodox siblings will celebrate next weekend. Um, but millions of them are pausing to reflect on Easter, hopefully online. Uh, we know some communities are not following the orders to uh, not meet in person, but hopefully most of them are meeting online and digging deep into Easter and what its meaning is for them right here, right now. Many of you that know me know that I have bemoaned Easter in many ways over the years. I've really wrestled with it and wondered, uh, what can the story of Easter still teach Unitarian Universalists right here, right now, 2,000 years after that story was written down? And so as someone who is uh, a religious naturalist and a humanist, someone who doesn't necessarily affirm anything supernatural, um, I affirm the here and the now, and I wholeheartedly believe nature is enough. Nature is enough for our awe and our inspiration and our wonder and for living out our lives. Um, but still, I love a good story. And so I turn to the Easter story and I, I wonder, uh, beyond the supernatural parts of the story, I wonder what is there for us to learn from this? And it's a challenge. Um, whether I'm a humanist or not, for uh, most of our history as Unitarian Universalists, before we merged together, uh, specifically for the Unitarians, the story ended with the tomb. And that is a challenge. It ended with the tomb. A beloved teacher and prophet was executed by the Roman government, and he died. And the story ends with the tomb. And sometimes Unitarians of ages past would affirm some type of resurrection, spiritual or otherwise, um, but it wasn't necessarily the great celebration and glory that most traditional Trinitarian Christians affirm. And so it's a challenging story. It's a heartbreaking story for your beloved teacher and prophet to die, and what do you do then? And so many ways we've interpreted it is that something happened in the community and it shifted, and that was the resurrection. It was the memory of Jesus of Nazareth, and that was the resurrection. That was him living on in the lives of his disciples and followers. And sometimes Unitarian Universalists just avoid the story altogether. And instead, we look to Easter and we focus on the Easter bunny and eggs and, and um, uh, you know, chocolate and all sorts of other things. And many of us yet still like to affirm both. We like to dig deep into the historical story, um, the myth, and then we like to dig into sort of uh, the fanciful, colorful, uh, celebratory pieces of Easter that have become part of our culture, spring and renewal and rebirth. And so for me, um, I love a good story, and I love to dig into the Easter story and figure out what is left for us in this. And so this year, I think it is a perfect story for us to be telling right here and right now. Uh, so for many of you, whether or not you grew up Unitarian Universalist, um, really in any religious education class, uh, Christian or not, you tend to hear the story. Uh, if you live in America, you tend to hear this story and learn what people say about it every single year. And you'll remember that uh, the most common account is that Jesus of Nazareth was arrested, uh, tried, and executed. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. And eventually, uh, he ascended into heaven. But what people often forget is that in the shortest and oldest gospel, the gospel of Mark, the story doesn't end with the fanfare. 
The story ends quite simply, and so it's probably worth dusting off your Bibles and digging into the Gospel of Mark a bit, and just flip to the end. It's really not that long. And the way the story ends in the Gospel of Mark, the oldest Gospel we have, is that it wasn't his male disciples that went to the tomb afterwards. It wasn't his uh, near and dear um, 12 apostles uh, that went to the tomb. It wasn't the Roman officials or anything else who, who went to the tomb. Um, it was the women, the women that were a part of his movement that went to the tomb on the third day. And as they got to the tomb, the women realized the tomb was open. And inside there was a man sitting there and he said, do not be afraid for Jesus is no longer here. He's gone before you to Galilee, and that is where you will find him. And the story kind of wraps up quickly from there. Um, the women left. They fled, and they were afraid, and they told no one what had happened there. And that is how the Gospel of Mark ends. It doesn't end with Jesus appearing before his disciples. It doesn't end with Jesus performing miracles. It doesn't end with him ascending into heaven. It ends with the women of his movement fleeing the tomb and being afraid and telling no one what happened. Now that is critical for us to examine the oldest gospel account of the death of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is something where I think we can find meaning in the Easter story here and now. The women fled and they were afraid and they told no one. And so this is where I think there's still some meaning. We can dig deep into this fear. We can rest in this fear. Um, we can toil with this fear. And uh, from that fear, we can find hope. We can find sparks of what the Christians would call resurrection. And what does that mean, resurrection and hope, amidst all of the fear we are experiencing in our lives, in this world, right here, right now? And so what does this ancient story have to tell us here? And so I look to our history. I don't just look to the Easter story. I look to our history as Unitarian Universalists and before that, Unitarians and Universalists. And I look to our history and I find stories that are very much going to the tomb and wrestling with our fear. And so the story for you today um, will sound a little familiar to the Easter story, but instead it takes place in 1594 in the Kingdom of Transylvania. And so many of you know that uh, Transylvania has the oldest Unitarian churches uh, still standing today. And so in 1594, uh, we find the Kingdom of Transylvania under the rule of the 23-year-old Sigismund Batori. And Batori uh, ascended into power uh, just uh, not long after the golden age of Unitarianism in Transylvania, under the rule of Sigismund Zapolia in the 1570s. And after his untimely death, that golden age ended. And Sapolia uh, was the only Unitarian king in history that we know of. Um, but, and so he created something called the Edict of Torda, which meant there was religious toleration in the kingdom of Transylvania. Whether you were Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, Unitarian, whatever your faith, as long as you affirmed it and worshipped, um, you were free to choose. And so after his death, that all fell apart. So here we find Batori in uh, 1594. And Pretori was ambitious, um, and he wanted to uh, make some serious moves um, to consolidate his power in the kingdom of Transylvania. And so he sent out a call to all of the noblemen of the kingdom, um, and he called them to Kolishvar. And in calling them to Kolishvar, he said it was a, a declaration of unity. 
He wanted to bring them together and unify the kingdom um, and as a gesture of goodwill as well, to celebrate with their king, right? And so in Kolishvar, they met inside a church. And as all the noblemen were gathered, suddenly the king's guard appeared in the church and surrounded the noblemen. Thirteen nobles were arrested that day. And in short order, nine of the thirteen were either publicly or privately executed, and the rest were exiled from the kingdom. Chief among their crimes was being tolerant of the Unitarians within Transylvania. Tolerant of the Unitarians, the Jews, the Protestants amidst Catholicism. Batori was a Catholic, and he wanted to restore Catholic purity to the kingdom. And so uh, these noblemen were executed, and Batori reached out to the Holy Roman Emperor, Rudolf II, and he said, Ah, look what I have done, um, and I want to transfer some of my rule and my loyalty to you, Holy Roman Emperor. And not long after this, Rudolf II uh, dispatched one of his most notorious generals, General uh, George Basta. And Basta was from Italy, and he was a deeply religious Catholic and uh, was just sickened by the Protestant movements and especially disliked Unitarians. And so Basta came to Transylvania, and he unleashed uh, terrors upon the Unitarians and Protestants and Jews within the kingdom, but especially the Unitarians. And not long after he did this, there was an uprising. A man by the name of Moses Sekeli um, uh, caused Basta to flee, flee into hiding, and uh, um, they thought they had won the day. But Basta returned. Basta returned with more reinforcements, and his oppression after he returned was far worse. There were accounts during this time from the villages that no livestock remained because they needed the livestock for food. They had run out of grain and crops, so they had to turn to the work animals. And in order to till the fields, people had to pull the plows because they had eaten all of the, uh, the, the, the livestock. And there are even accounts of a cannibalism breaking out in the villages because the food became that scarce under the oppressive rule of Basta, specifically with the Unitarians. And so he would go into the villages, he would burn the Unitarian churches or convert them back to Catholic churches um, and round up the Unitarian ministers and execute them publicly. And so Basta wanted to make a very clear gesture, even amidst his intense cruelty, that the Unitarians were going to be extinguished from history. And so he sought out what was called the superintendent of the Unitarian Church. It was kind of a presiding bishop, and the Unitarians still have bishops to this day. A man by the name of Matthew Torotskoy. And Torotskoy was the superintendent. He was in charge of the Unitarian Church in Transylvania. And he knew they were coming for him. And he fled. And where he fled is that he found an abandoned iron mine. And he went into this iron mine and descended into the depths, and there he stayed. Matthew Torotskoy stayed in the depths of that abandoned iron mine for years. Talk about going to the tomb. And while he was in that mine, he could have easily despaired. He could have ended his own life. He could have turned himself in. Uh, he could have been caught. Uh, he could have starved. So many things could have happened to him, either by his own choice or because of uh, just where he was. And instead of despairing, Torotskoy decided to choose hope. To choose hope amidst his fear. And so what he did 
in the depths of that iron mine is he wrote hymns of hope. I imagine him taking scraps of paper, writing on walls, creating his own paper, whatever it was that he had, either by candlelight or by finding some sliver of light coming into the, the, the mine, jotting down notes of hope. Because he firmly believed his faith as a Unitarian taught him that no matter what befell him or his people, you could not extinguish a free faith. You could not extinguish the light of Unitarianism. You could not extinguish hope in human beings, no matter what. And so he chose to write hymns of hope because he knew they would be sung one day with his people in their churches once more. And so he wrote those hymns of hope in the depths of that abandoned iron mine. And in 1605, there was a second rebellion, and Basta was expelled from the kingdom, and the, the Unitarians emerged. And Matthew Toditskoy uh, left the iron mine and again became uh, sort of the presiding bishop of the Unitarian Church in Transylvania. And what he did during that time is he created the first Unitarian hymnal in history with those hymns that he wrote in the Iron Mine. And they sang out. They rebuilt their churches. They flourished during this time. And they sang, they sang their songs of hope that Torotskoy wrote in the depths of his fear, in the depths of that Iron Mine. Now, I'm sad to say that that hymnal has not survived the test of time. The Unitarians would experience oppression time and time and time again throughout their history. Uh, even that period of time was not the first time they had been publicly persecuted. And even leading up to uh, communist rule under Ceausescu um, in the 90s, and even today, the Unitarians experience oppression still in that part of the world. But still they sing songs of hope, new songs of hope knowing that the free faith cannot be extinguished. <clears throat> and so we tell this story. We tell this story of hymns of hope being written in an abandoned iron mine and the Gospel of Mark, where we find the women fleeing from the tomb and afraid and not telling anyone. And yet we know they eventually did tell someone. We know that they told their own hymns of hope, stories of hope, about what they had learned from Jesus of Nazareth. Just as Matthew Toyoskoy wrote down notes in the darkness of an iron mine. Notes that would be sung out with joy again. So here we have two great stories that we're telling uh, this Easter weekend. When have we been in the depths of the mine? When have we encountered the tomb and been afraid? When have we fled and not told anyone? When have we held on to a sliver of hope, knowing that no matter what, that hope is what we needed, what the world needed, and that we knew so deeply that that hope could not be extinguished? That is the Easter story. That is the Easter story for Unitarian Universalists in 2020. That is the Easter story for the world right now that we need to hold on to hope. We need to be in the depths of the mind, yes, but we still need to write hymns of hope and sing them out joyfully when we are together again. That is the story we are telling, and that is the story we need to keep on telling over and over again, whether it involves Jesus of Nazareth, Matthew Toditskoy, or us. That is the story we need to tell.
And so that is the call of Easter here and now in 2020. Blessed be. Amen.